Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not like getting too hot or too cold or whatever, you know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it like doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today, you'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Fake the Nation, episode 327. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where, like Herschel Walker before me, I'm brandishing my child's sheriff badge. I'm Nagin Farsad, and I'm the cop of Fake the Nation. I'm also here to remind you that one of the greatest factors in whether people turn out to vote is how much they hear people talk about voting. So talk about voting, talk about voting at the grocery store, talk about voting at the gym, talk about voting, waiting in line for the toilet. Talk about voting. Today, we're going to talk about a new poll on the state of the American electorate. We'll also talk about comedy and how it's sometimes harmful to women. That sounds weird, but you have to listen to the segment to understand what I'm talking about. Climate activists are destroying famous paintings, and there's a doctor who's 100 years really old. Uh, Today's panel. Oh, folks, today's panel. What an excitement and a joy. I am joined by... First of all, for the very first time, I've I've been on lineups with this wonderful woman. I but this is the first time she's done my show. She's a writer for SNL because she's fancy like that. She's also got a special on YouTube called Whiskey Fists. She's just I mean an incredible, incredible stand-up. I've never seen her do poorly um, in stand-up, which uh, which is why she gets to be fancy at places like SNL because she's so goddamn talented. It is the one and only Rosebud Baker. Hey, Rosebud. Hey, thanks for having. 
having me. Thank you so much. And I love that you said you haven't seen me do poorly. That's that's very sweet. That that actually speaks to how many lineups we've been on together. I think more than anything else. <laughs> Uh, no, it's true. You're such an excellent comic. Um, and, and I'm joined by yet another excellent comic who also, I don't think I've ever seen do poorly in stand-up um, and elsewhere. You can watch his latest special, Show Your Work, on Amazon. He's got a phenomenal newsletter that I love called New Music for Olds, which describes so many people's relationship with music right now, like they want the new music. <laughs> but they don't fucking know who or what or where and how. Um, and, and and this man will, figures it all out for you. It is the one and only Christian Finnegan. Hey, Christian. Hello, my dear. I, I want to say it's, again, it, like Rosebud said, it's very kind that you said you'd never seen me done poorly. But I know for a fact that you and I spent the first year of the pandemic doing awful rooftop <laughs> shows where... <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's all relative, but no one did well on those shows. That's Eight true. shivering people on the top of a tall building on the I've west blanked, side. I blanked out that those several, <laughs> um, <laughs> those hundred shows are like no longer in my memory. So that, that was yeah. truly They're in like I a trauma folder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I severanced those out out of my head, so I don't Th- actually. That was know truly that that when stand up comedy felt like a, a, an emotional, like a mental illness and an affliction <laughs> when. You'd walk out there and there'd be seven <laughs> shivering people in parkas. And you're like, I could literally be doing anything right now. I could be volunteering. I could be doing anything. And yet this is where I am. No, but it was, you know, what was so uplifting about it was it was like seven shivering people in parkas, you know, us lunatics at the mic, like two heat lamps that were like sort of vaguely casting heat onto mm-hmm. like one of the shivering audience members. And uh, and I was just like, wow, these are the seven most enthusiastic people in all of America. Like, that's what it felt. I was like, I, we found them. Here they are. And it's like they're going to they're the future of uh, joy like these people. So I, I remember thinking they're almost more mentally ill than we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very true. Very well, true. I was like, I don't know what's going on at home, but you guys are wild. That's the like, thing. Nothing was going on at home. That's why you need to come out. Yeah. Um, well, folks, God before we him. get into it, I just want to remind people that you can um, support the show by going to patreon.com slash Nikki Farsad and get all the bonus stuff. We have so much, so many bonuses. They come out all the time and they're so extra fun. Um, so don't forget to go to patreon.com slash Nagin Farsad and let us get into it with topic number one. So there's a new Siena College New York Times poll that's centered on threats to democracy that had a bunch of really interesting findings. So I just wanted to delve into a few of them. First up, uh, 71% of registered voters agreed that democracy was, quote, under threat. But only about 17% of voters describe that threat in a way that, like, maybe we've described it on this show, for example, like the insurrection or the big lie or gerrymandering, for example. Um, Those were not the ways in which people thought democracy was under threat. Instead, 68% of registered voters said that the government – quote, mainly works to benefit powerful elites rather than, quote, ordinary people. And that to them was the main threat to democracy. Um, Now, I guess, look, 
you're both comedians. All of us here are comedians. I think we see a larger swath of America and audiences than the average person. So does this kind of track for you of when, when you think of like America and what they might view as like, quote, a threat to democracy, is it that um, the government mainly, mainly works to power to benefit powerful elites? Christian? I mean, yes, but to me, this is kind of a very lazy nihilism that, you know, you see a lot with the American electorate that you probably would have gotten the same results 20 years ago. Now, I'm sure the way the the poll is phrased, I'm sure they'll be able to show that things are getting worse. But but I, I feel like I've been hearing that since I was a teenager, you know, and it's not untrue. It's absolutely true. It's just a question of different people have different opinions about who's considered the elite. The sort of uh, Trump flag on the back of the pickup truck guy thinks I'm elite. <laughs> you know, uh, I, you know me and my shitty one bedroom apartment in Queens. I'm right. somehow the elite. Whether you think it's Soros or whether you think it's the Koch brothers, like yes, the government does money services money. You know, power services power. I mean, that's always going to be the case. Obviously, the things you know you are concerned about and I'm concerned about, you know, is a is more of a novel threat. And I feel like that's almost too intense for people to accept. The idea that that our government and that our, our institutions and foundations have been revealed as basically phony and flimsy and that this could topple over at any second and we could have sort of a, you know, an insurrection of yokels and idiots sort of take over the world is almost too disturbing to think about. So we just kind of ignore that and be like, oh, yeah, the government helps the rich, you know, whereas, yes, that is that is definitely true. But to me, the acute risk right now is more just a, uh, you know, is the the Oath Keeper type dudes. Rosebud? I, I, yeah, I mean, I I think that it's like I don't know that it's a threat to democracy so much as like it it's a threat to living in democracy. I mean, I don't, I think it's kind of that democracy serving powerful elites is like, that's sort of what democracy <laughs> kind of in, inherently, well, I should say capitalism. Capitalism. Is about, you know, is it's like you climb your way to the top and then that's all wrapped up with the American dream and democracy. But I, whether or not those two things are separate, I think they're, um, I think they're becoming a little more enmeshed than they used to be. I personally, I, I look at it and go like, how, how possible is it to create a change when, um, when on either side of, uh, the aisle you have corporations and, um, and politicians, you know, sort of in each other's beds. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I don't necessarily see it as a threat to democracy. I don't think that it's like going to topple democracy. I think democracy will shift and change according to um, the patterns of uh, the behavioral patterns of the people that live in it. Um, but I don't think that it's uh, it doesn't surprise me that that's what people are concerned about. I, I that's I think to if I wasn't 
such a nihilist myself, I think I'd be concerned about it too. I just can't feel anything. (laughs) (laughs) It's that SNL schedule that kind of rips away all ability to feel. Um, But also whenever, whenever I hear the, just whenever I hear the results of any poll, any poll whatsoever, I always have to filter through, this is not a poll of the way people feel. It's a poll of the way people who respond to polls feel. You, you know what right, I mean? Yeah. That that it's like I don't know anyone who responds to polls. Like I literally don't know anybody, and you know, on a regular basis, I certainly don't. None of my friends do. You, you know what I mean? And so, no, I wonder what I, age yeah. it is that that happens too. By the way, sorry, I didn't. Yeah, no, I. You, but yeah, that's a it's a very valid point. And are we all? All of a sudden, going to be like, yes, I have twenty minutes to talk on the phone. But to a I mean, yeah. the, the thing that sort of does make <laughs> sense to me is that people aren't thinking in a macro philosophical way about the crumbling of democratic institutions, right? What the people think about in their own like macro way is about, I mean, is about their own lives. Like that's the macro that they think about. So they think about like, why, why isn't this paycheck higher? Like why, you know, and why, why is gas prices this way or that way or whatever it is, you know, when those things filter into your life, I think it's like you blame um, a system that favors rich people. Like you sort of, I mean, I, like, I, I remember hearing someone else on a, podcast talk about like that they for the first time recognized inflation because they went to the supermarket and some item that they always bought um was just like two dollars more expensive and they were pissed and they were like and now I suddenly feel inflation you know and um and that's when you you know you those are the things I think because those are the things that you that make us that seep into our lives the average person is just like not going to think about like larger institutional structures like they're not. And so it makes sense to me that they're like, what? I don't know about the crumbling of democracy. I just know that rich people seem to be doing great. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm having right. a hard time. This is one item I wanted to buy is $2 more expensive and I'm pissed. Um, so I feel like in in that sense, it, it kind of tracks. And also, yes, who is responding to polls? I really don't know. But here's another one um, poll that <laughs> we can discredit. Um, another 8% of voters cited polarization as the major threat to, to democracy. And inflation, which I just mentioned, and we talk about literally all the time, was only cited by 3% of respondents. So um, interestingly, polarization and inflation are two things that I feel like in the world of like a liberal media elite of which maybe we're a part or whatever we're a dumb part of it we're like the bunion of it um that mm-hmm. is th- these these two these two things polarization and inflation are kind of rank low which is i think also funny right i i look at that and i go like polarization i I mean, hasn't America kind of always been polarized, though? I I don't know if isn't that sort of the appeal of living here is that you get to argue with people openly and say um, what yeah. you you know, I, I feel like that's kind of our charm in, in a, <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of what we've got. Yeah. So I, I think a lot of that polarization couldn't have existed before, or at least it, generally speaking, if you were interacting with someone who you didn't agree with politically, it was face to face. 
And if you weren't interacting with them, then you never had to hear about them. Do you do you know what I mean? That yeah. like other than Thanksgiving right. dinner or whatever, you didn't have to interact with people constantly who who thought the opposite of you. Now, ninety nine point nine percent of your interactions with people are online, where yeah. people are going to be the the most strident versions of themselves, where they're going to be you know more rude. And so, yeah, I mean the. I don't think people have changed, but the ways in which we communicate with each other have changed so much that the polarization, you know, I didn't have to used to know what people in my high school that that I went to high school with thought about the government. You know what I mean? It's like you leave those people and you sort of find the people that you agree with. Yeah, it's it's interesting that they didn't put social media as an option on there. Right. Yeah, 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 it's yeah, yeah. It's very interesting At considering least not its in, effect in the, on the articles the... that we read about the poll. Can I also point out cuz right. you you bring up the, you know, Thanksgiving phenomenon, nearly one in five voters, so 20% of voters said that politics hurt their friendships or family relationships. So basically, um you might hear a lot of talk of, about groups of people, but the poll found that what was most concerning wasn't these like huge institutional, uh, sorry, huge population levels of polarization, but this small, quiet ruptures um, that that kind of, and this is how the article phrased it, made more in sorrow than anger. Um, those were the ruptures that and that twenty percent of respondents were more concerned about. Do you, and that kind of feels real to me because I hear a lot about people are like, oh, Thanksgiving, it's going to be awkward because this one family member is, you know, believes this, but I don't believe that, and you know, um, so what did you make of that? Twenty uh, percent of respondents saying that. I mean, that checks out to me. I had to leave my hairdresser because she joined QAnon. That was. Heartbreaking. <laughs> what? A New York City hairdresser? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. For real. That's like really dirt halfway through the pandemic. It was like I started going in and she was like, I've been doing some research and she just would show me like memes. And I'm like, that's not research. That's not an article. <laughs> that's oh, a meme. Yeah. You know what I mean? Was so she really it, great it at like, cutting your hair? She was good with my bangs, and as you can see, I have not found a replacement, so <laughs> I'm I'm pretty pissed about it. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, Rosebud's bangs are like full garbage right now. <laughs> they're they're wild. They're you know, wild. It's why it's why beautiful. we're not doing video. <laughs> We were gonna we were gonna do video today, but I we took yeah. one look at Rosebud's bangs and we were like, "There's <laughs> like, no way the internet could even handle it." Yeah, Ro- Let's Rosebud's, hold off. Rosebud's uh, uh, bang maintenance person uh, stepped in and said, "Absolutely not." They put the hand. <laughs> <in>. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, she sent an email ahead of time. <laughs> oh, um, um, I, you know, yeah. I will say that you know. The whole what you just said about doing the research, that's not research, that's memes is so familiar to me. You know, my my mother was was mentally ill and she would constantly call, you know, she would she would go to like an, you know, a psychotherapist, you know, like five days a week and she would call it training. Uh, mm-hmm. that she because she in her mind was training to be a psychologist or a psychoanalyst herself right. and and I would just you know and I without trying to get get into a fight every day I'd be like mom that's not training you're you're the patient yeah. in this scenario you're not <laughs> right. the, and I feel like that sort of mentality is just swept all of those people it's like oh I'm doing research it's like no you're literally sitting on your computer you may as well be looking at porn like there's no, nothing nothing right. 
you're not doing anything more yeah. elevated than anybody else. Right. You're looking at you're staring at picture books. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you talking about about uh, the Thanksgiving dinner scenario. It's like to be completely navel gazy uh, in terms of our lives. Uh, to me, the green room is like a perpetual Thanksgiving dinner. You know, of uh, there's so many comedians that. I have gotten along with for years and now I've seen them say stuff that I can't ignore it. Like, I'm not going to start a fight. Like I'm not going to start, you know, an argument, the green room, it's got to be neutral territory. You got to be friendly and professional, but it's like, there's people who walk in and I'm just like, I cannot look at you the same way anymore. And I'm, you know, privately (laughs) going to think my thoughts about you. And, and that's sort of the way, another way I feel like social media has infected our brains is that you used to be able to just kind of have these very surface relationships with people that were sort of polite and dignified and you never had to know their creepy id. You You know, know, I also want to say like, not to give everybody work on how to be in the world, but like Mm -hmm. I, in in the green room situation, um, I like some... This is is this embarrassing admission? I sometimes like will think about like my week or something, and like, oh, is there something if if I can say that feels very like fun but neutral? Like if I'm asked what's going on in the green room <laughs> or in any in any waiting room, whatever, wherever you find yourself with humans, um, and like so, for example, like last week we went apple picking, so like apple picking made its rounds in in my right. chat chat circuit. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Uh, because it's sort of like a just a fun. Oh, and then everyone has like an opinion about apple picking or whatever. You know what I mean? And it's fun. Right. It's like, and and so not again. Like, I I just think it's not a terrible idea to have a couple of those things in your pocket. Yeah, some <laughs> talk should be small. Yeah, like, because some talk should be small, but like, and fun, like, it's okay to like, have fun. And like, connection with people on just like surface things like that. So you know what I mean? I think that's what kind of like life is usually supposed to do. Like, we're not supposed to have a large philosophical conversation about like the nature of capitalism when we every fucking five. Yeah, it's like when my dog just gives another dog just a quick little butt sniff. It doesn't have to get all up in there. You know, it doesn't have to be this engaged <laughs> thing, but it's just a quick, like, you sniff my butt, I sniff yours, we go about our day. Everybody yes. Move on. yes. Yeah. C- yeah. Civility is a quick butt sniff, as my mom always says. And, um, mm-hmm. and I, I have that on a throw I, pillow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, we are going to take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we'll continue chatting. I am the type of person that has subscribed to things, and I have forgotten about those things. I have paid twice for a children's educational app, and I didn't know that I was paying twice for several months. Until that is, I discovered Rocket Money, and because I use Rocket Money, it just showed up all these things. The thing that I was paying twice for that made me incredibly angry. Thank God Rocket Money ended that for me. It also cancels the subscription for you, so you don't have to like go through the hassle of going to that site and figuring out how to cancel. They actually make canceling very difficult. I don't know if any of you have had the experience, but I have been on a like a roundabout eight exit nightmare trying to unsubscribe to something before. Rocket 
pocket money eliminates that hassle. It also alerts you to an increase in subscription price. And this is something Rocket Money did for me. It negotiates a lower price for something you already subscribe to. So like for my cable bill, it got me a lower price. And I was very happy about that. Nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about, which makes me feel better because I'm one of them. But it makes me feel terrible because what are we doing? Losing that money. Uh, I don't want to waste that money. And I know you don't want to waste that money. If you struggle with these kinds of purchases, if you struggle with finances in general, Rocket Money will help you with the budgeting, help you track your expenses, help you, like I said, cancel those unwanted subscription. It's a personal finance app that finds and cancels unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps you lower your bills so you can get back to saving. I mean, me and my husband have been on the warpath and Rocket Money has been a really big part of that. It has over 5 million users with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The average member has saved up to $740 a year using the app's features, which is, I mean, that tracks for me. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions. Go to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Save the money at rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Back and before we get into the next topic, um, we are going to do a quick races to watch. That's electoral contests to watch. We got a wonderful question from Luke on Instagram about judicial races. Now, so this isn't a, a typical races to watch, and then I'm not going to like name like one or two candidates. Instead, um, I'm I'm going to address Luke's question on Instagram. He basically he knows that judicial races are deeply important, but he was kind of left at, at a loss on how to figure them all out and wanted to know what the best resources are. And so I got to thinking, what are the best resources? Sources, and I kind of pulled together a few things that I find myself often looking at. You can look at the ballot measures tool on Vote Smart. Um, that's a really great one. And this is for ju- your judicial races, which I think are like the races that everyone finds the most boring, that like they don't want to look up. This is look it up here. Uh, you can look, you could use the sample ballot generator at Vote 411. And you can use, um, there's another sample ballot generator on Ballotpedia. I find myself on Ballotpedia a lot. So um, there's a, there's an easy way uh, for all of your districts to get in there, look at those, these races. Um, on There's a lot of tools. And another place that I like to send people is Vote Save America. Um, you guys may have heard me on uh, Pod Save America or on Love It or Leave It. I love those guys. They're really great guys. They put a lot of thought into Vote Save America. So, like, I think Vote Save America is also a really great overall resource um, for uh, these coming midterms, which are very soon. And, again, don't stop talking about voting. All right. Let's get into it with topic number two. 
Um, the comedian Ariel Elias was in the middle of her stand-up set in some spot in New Jersey when a person in the audience wanted to know if she voted for Biden. The exchange was heated, but I would say, I don't know, within the realm of heckling that we've all seen. And then half a can of beer was thrown at her on stage, and that was like scary and awful. Um, and then she drank that can of beer, which is such a great way of responding to it. Um, but that video has gone viral, and I guess my question is, I mean, before we sort of, like, get into the, the larger question, you've both seen, like, a just a universe of heckling. Now, when I heard the heckling in it, which was like, who did you vote for? Who did you vote for? Like, that kind of thing. It didn't feel, like, entirely, like, I, it didn't feel like something so unusual. What did it look like to you? I mean... I haven't seen the the clip itself. I, I, I've seen like parts of it going around, but I haven't like um, watched the whole thing in full. I do think that like comparatively speaking to like what I experienced coming up in New York, uh, who did you vote for is like, to me, world's better than like, show us your tits, right. which is what I got. <laughs> I'm like, no, exactly. to me, it's... I'm like, this is kind of dignified, even for <laughs> just even for heckles. Like, right. what? The fact that they're concerned about the future of democracy, these hecklers is um, insane to me, but it's wild to watch. I think that I think, the first of all, Ariel's hilarious. And the way that she responded to that was such a perfect comic instinct, you yeah. know? Um, but yeah, to me, it's, it was just regular kind of heckling the way that it, it was intense, but it wasn't like crazy. Right. Part of the funny thing about something like this going viral to me, I mean, throwing a beer on stage, I think is don't ever do that. And also like, I haven't per personally seen that. So like that did feel like beyond the pale, but in terms of like the heckling, I think what's also fascinating is that maybe people don't realize that this is the kind of heckling that occurs in comedy, right? Like some don't do it, but like it does exist. And early in my career, when I got show me your tits for the first time, I remember being so at a loss. And so right. like, just, like, I just felt, you know, I must have been turned like pale white and just felt so crazy. Like, I just didn't know what to do with that. Right. Um, and so it does, it, it, it can get, especially with women, it can get so much more like, ugly and gross and sexual. Um, Christian, what did you think like from a on your scale of one to terrible? Um, well, as you know, I can't speak to the show me your tits aspect of things. Uh, <laughs> although I, I not that it, that hasn't been yelled at me, which for a husky boy is not a pleasant experience. <laughs> but uh, I took I saw it a little differently. I saw it as, as slightly more charged than I think you guys may have. I, I because to me, it's, it, you know, I don't think any of these people were cared about democracy or anything like that. It's just like, you're not on our team. And and in, a you know, where I know where that club is and now down near the Jersey Shore, and, you know, literally, I don't know if you've seen, but the sign, it says Uncle Vinny's and there's gunshots in the logo. Like there's the, the, oh, the like sign a, is riddled like a gun with fake in the logo. gun, yeah, yeah. Yeah, gun hole, uh, bullet holes. To me, it's more just the question of like, where is this going and where is the rest of the audience on this? Do you know what I mean? That it's like, 
I, I was, you know, because the, the clip picks up pretty much right when the woman starts yelling, who did you vote for? Who did you vote for? So I don't know what led up to that. And, you know, in, in one hand, in, in, on one hand, it was sort of reassuring because when Ariel kind of went back at her and basically implied that nobody is interested in hearing you talk, people like applaud and responded, even though I'm sure probably more people in that crowd voted the way that woman votes than, you know, than the yeah. way Ariel did. But there is sort of a mentality of like, we paid to see comedy. Shut the fuck up, you know? And, right. and it's nice to know that that's still sort of, that's still won out in the end. And um, it sucks that you have to do that. It's uh, And it sucks that for certain crowds, you have to do this stupid zoo animal dominance ritual on them. It's like, you know, I listen, when I see great crowd work, when I see somebody handling a heckler, when I see somebody own a heckler, you know, I can admire it. But that's not why I got into this. It's not why a yeah, lot of comedians got yeah, into it. Yeah, You know, and so I was like, I personally would rather hear someone's material. That's just me. And so it, it's a bummer that, you know, on one hand, I mean, God, you know, God bless Ariel for being able to sort of make the most of this. But it sucks that this is what's getting her attention as opposed to her material, her material. which is very, very, very well written and very smart. And but that's just sort of the world we're in now. You know, we just we that's that sort of chaotic spectacle of like, oh, my God, did you see that thing that went down? You know, right. it, it's. It's so hard to not talk about this and not just sound old and cranky, like, ah, that's the world we live in today. But, you know, that's the world we live in. I also wonder, like, what specific... It's, like, interesting because I've always wondered why someone who could go to a, a to theater, like, the people in the audience have probably been to theater, and they... Or even just a movie, <laughs> like, and they behave completely... What, like differently, like more civil, quieter, just like all of that in a theater or like in a movie context. But then there's something about being at a comedy club. And I get I get that we're, we're also like, oh, but by a round of applause, who in years from New Jersey or whatever? Like, I get that we also ask people questions and sort of invite a little bit of, of interaction. But the there's it's just odd to me that comedy audiences can be so devoid of the same um, respect that we give to other forms of but art. But think about weird. it. I mean, how lame would it be to do a show and have a Broadway audience, like, as a stand-up? I mean, that's <laughs> – that would just be awful. I mean, there's nothing worse that's than, true. like – even though hecklers, like, suck, I there is also something to be said for, like, the chaos that stand-up – kind of creates and the I think there's something about that that like you can't really do comedy without that like I'm gonna prove that I, I can make you guys laugh and the audience is always in some way kind of especially if they don't know you they're they're always kind of like prove it you know and yeah you know if if a cell phone went off in a Broadway theater everyone turns around and they go who raised you? You know, if I had that kind of audience <laughs> in my watching my stand up, I mean, I'd throw a beer. I, I don't know what I would do. I'd be like, this is awful. You're all smiling at me like we're on Zoom or something. It, it doesn't 
feel the same. You have to have the not necessarily of the sort of live. You have event, to have you know, that. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. You can't have a polite yeah, comedy a audience. It's just. Not I love the same. that in defense of hecklers, basically. I, not in defense of hecklers, but in defense of <laughs> chaos. You know. Right, 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 right. In de- but, I, I, also, no, I get what you're saying. That's some one one of the things that's sort of magical about stand-up comedy is like that it's on the precipice of falling apart all the time. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's something from nothing. You know, and and also I think when a stand up is really good, it looks easy and it does look like conversation. And so I think certain people, especially when they get a few beers in them, they feel like it is a conversation. And know, you know yeah. and then sometimes people are kind of like pissed off. You know, they have latent feelings of wanting to be funny themselves, even if they don't want to technically be stand up. They they stand ups, they think of themselves as being entertaining and engaging interesting people and so to see somebody up on stage being interesting and engaging there's just something in them that rolls over that's like i need part of this spotlight myself you know it's so funny a friend of mine um happened to see me twice for some reason like unintentionally uh and she was like after seeing you the second time i realized that you're performing And I was like, y- yeah. Yeah. Like, I- <laughs> you think they're just up there just chatting? She, she's just like, she kind of, she's like, it really does feel like you're just talking though. Like you're coming up with it on stage. Right. And I was like, well, that's like a compliment. Thank you. But I am not. <laughs> like, right. I am performing. Well, and that's the skill. I mean, as, yeah. as much as, you know, everybody's funny in certain contexts. Every person in the world has made people laugh. But can you recreate it from scratch over and over again in a situation, like you said, where, where people, Rosebud said, like where people are saying, prove it. Like that's the skill. Yeah. And yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, I think yeah. kind of mystifies people or confuses people slightly. So the second part of this segment I wanted to talk about is a new study that suggests that the benefits of humor don't extend to everyone. <laughs> women, I mean, we read this in Har- the Harvard Business Review, women may actually be harmed by using humor at work. Um, and this is according to the article. We find that when men add humor to a business presentation, observers view them as having higher levels of status and then give them higher performance ratings and leadership capability assessments compared to when they don't include humor. However, when women add the same humor to the same presentation, people view them as having lower levels of status, rate their performances lower, and consider them less capable as leaders. Rosebud, <laughs> what did you think of this finding? <laughs> okay, well, first of all, they had they had a woman give the same presentation as a man, correct? Yeah. And it yeah. was that's how so, they, they they conducted the study. Yeah, it's hard hard to con- they, what, understand they what the control conducted is the study. Yeah. They conducted the study with one woman and one man, and I I'm like y'all went to Harvard, so you should know that it should take more than one woman to conduct a study. Like I think that they found an unfunny woman for the study. Personally, when I read it, I was like, well, how funny Ooh, was the woman? Like she didn't land it. Yeah, I'm like the only way that. Humor, uh, personally, I maybe because I just refuse to believe this just for self-preservation purposes, but <laughs> I, I'm i like, the only way, the only way that this is true is if you're not funny. And so it's not landing. And so it's coming up because that is sort of the alternative side of like trying a joke is now people just 
sort of know something about you that they didn't know before that's shameful and should be hidden. But like now this is a specifically in like sort of business scenarios. Can you picture us in like in the business world or like right. in, the, in like little in political leadership or something? You know, can Nancy Pelosi like not do as many jokes as Chuck Schumer? You know what I mean? Like, does that right. feel right. like a thing? I mean, I don't know if Nancy Pelosi's got it. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen her closer. It's, you know it's, what I mean? It's I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm trying right. to think of and, like. And you know, that's that's definitely a part, right. So skill is the is the part that this study doesn't address at all. At exactly. Whatever. That's the thing that I, I go, well, if you're, I don't know if Nancy Pelosi's funny. I, I don't know if she's got it. <laughs> so do I think that, the Nancy Pelosi that I've seen, if I watched her try to tell a joke, it, you know, it would feel, uh, this is just instinct. I I would be like, she didn't, she didn't quite land that, you know? Um, Hillary Clinton, she tried it. She gassed it too many times and it, you know, bombed. And I'd be like, ugh. But I don't look at Hillary Clinton and go like, she's got a great sense of humor. You know what I mean? She's got that personality who's like, we're going to get this done. We're going to get it done right. And and it's gotten her very, very far in her career. She's like one of the most experienced politicians. Um, but is she funny? I don't know. Can I tell you like a like a, a secret about Hillary Clinton? Because I, as listeners know, I'm, I'm in um, her series uh, Gutsy on, yeah. on Apple TV. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm... And I so I spent some hours with Hillary Clinton at this like this brunch. She's hilarious. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. Like, in, like she's in so one-on-one funny. conversation, she's hilarious. It's just she's that hilarious. she can't deliver a joke. Do you know? Like that she and that was true of of even when she was running. Like she, you would see a, a you know a a, um, a casual interview with her, and she'd seem so interesting and engaging. Right. And then you'd see her make a speech, and it was just her doing that thing. You know, and again, it's it's always weird when a guy yeah. starts critiquing the way a woman speaks or whatever. But I think know. I think but no, but she's hilarious, and that's like, what's uh, so that's what's funny about uh yeah about so, even. But using, then you know, here's the yeah. thing: if she if she was able to translate that to speeches and her public um public what speaking, could that have helped? That could have helped. I think that could have helped. If if right. AOC, yeah. I think AOC might have it. You know, I think she's got it. AOC's. AOC's very sharp. She's very sharp, and she She's can witty. deliver a line like on the spot. Very funny. Yeah. yeah. So no one will ever admit that about her. People who don't like her will act like she's just pulling out her hair and screaming and crying about being triggered constantly, which is not true. <laughs> but wait, is she uh, your is yeah. she your congressperson, Christian? Is yeah. she your your district? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, although I'm not, she's QED's congressperson, uh, my wife's business. Oh, you uh, guys I'm actually, live in a- We change our registration to upstate where we have a little cabin just because we thought it would go help. further. There. Nice. Yeah, 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 that so, makes sense. Good I job, guys. Um, um, well, uh, I, again, I, I just want to say in closing about that study, um, I don't believe it. And... <laughs> And right, I, and and if I saw it replicated a million times, and like not a million times, but if I saw it replicated in like a very 
scientifically, you know, and if it was like we can agree on the skill levels of the men and the women doing the presentation, like there's too many variables in a study like this for it to like make sense. It's just way too subjective. So I I do not want to discourage any woman out there from adding humor to their presentations. Right. I believe I believe it a little bit because it's more just to me about the way people hear women as opposed to the way they hear men. And to me, the only way to override that is for women to embrace being like including that in their sort of rhetorical repertoire more, not less. Right, you know? right, right, right. That it right. has to be something overcome in people, I think. That yeah, I, think that I mean, when- it, it, it's it's like the, the complaints that I get like when I do, because I do a lot of radio and like people, especially in the early days, were sending me hate mail about my voice all the time. But the more and more and more that we're just like, oh yeah, women, they exist and we hear their voices on radio. Like it, it's like, it's gotten less and less over the years. And I think that's literally just because more and more women are be you know have jobs or are allowed to yeah. speak or something right. and so um and so i think you're right christian instead of shying away from it embrace it heartily just so that we can get over the hurdle of people uh, you know not being used to hearing yeah. it and let's women. tell harvard to let us have a crack at it you know yeah 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 i, I want to do that yeah harvard call us up see... next time you want to do this study let's see what happens whenever i hear just in general, whenever I hear like guys be like, you know, women aren't funny or whatever, it's like, so what do you think? Like when women are together by themselves, like, do you think they're just sitting there, just stone faced, and no one's laughing? Like, you know what I mean? They're like, do you think there's no comedy or joy amongst women when they're together? Like, yeah. it's just so insane to me. It's like, of- you know the, that men have the sort of idea that it's like, no, I have an objective knowledge of what is funny, and what you're doing doesn't match that, so therefore you are not funny. You know. One of my favorite jokes in my house is whenever I tell, like, whenever I make my husband laugh, he'll, he'll, he'll like, sort of, like, come down off of it and he'll go, huh, a funny woman. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's like a constant, we keep revisiting this bit where, like, That's I'll hilarious. be like, hmm, my God, a funny guy. That's wild. <laughs> But it's just fun. Uh, folks, uh, let let me know. Are you going to keep enthusiastically putting uh, comedy in your presentations? I hope you do. <laughs> let us move on to topic number three. So we've got a couple of items from culture. Recently, um, a, a couple of climate change activists basically um, protested by throwing tomato soup on one of Van Gogh's sunflower paintings at London's National Gallery. This made the news. Uh, What do you think? And then also in July, five members of Just Stop Oil glued themselves to a copy of The Last Supper at London's Royal Academy of the Arts. Um, Protesters from Ultima Generazione, the last generation, in Italy glued themselves on the glass covering of Botticelli's Primavera at Galleria degli Ifusi in Florence. So this is like a thing, I guess, now, is to just either glue yourself or throw tomato soup at major works of art, which, by the way, in all three cases are shielded by plexiglass, so it's like actually not damaging the art. What do you think of this tactic? I mean, I defy anyone even now less than a week later i bet less than 
20% of people who know about the story could tell you what they were protesting. So I, I use that as sort of the standard of like, is that an effective form of activism? You, you know what I mean? That it's like, I, I'm sure they like something vaguely environmental is probably what people would assume. But, you know, I, what's it called? Stop Oil Now, I think is the name of the charity. Just Stop Oil, yeah. Just Stop Oil. See, I don't even know. And I've read a lot about this. And so I, you know, you know, there's always going to be sort of young sort of nonsensical environmental activism and thank god for it but this seems just particularly ill-conceived and particularly sort of subject to sort of this tiktok mentality of like i'm gonna do something crazy in public and it's gonna go viral is how it felt to me well i mean it did go viral but it's not i agree that i i did not know that like i first heard it when i was like alexa tell me the news right and if I had, when I heard, I remember being in my kitchen and hearing that they threw tomato soup on Van Gogh's sunflowers and I went, oh no, like out loud in my kitchen. I did not hear the part about what environmental group or what they were trying to protest or any of that. And I just thought, oh my God, like, what were they, what were they protesting? And then I felt more confused because I was like, that's something I support but I definitely don't think that was cool. So I just felt like now you're just taking people that are on your side and kind of making them feel a certain way about what you're doing. Right. You can be someone who wants um, aggressive environmental um, protection and want to not you want to preserve art, great works of art. Like right. both of those um, things could be true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I and it's like, it makes me judge you intellectually. It's like, right. if you thought that this was the proper way to do this, then I question your judgment about just about everything, <laughs> you know? And so whether I am sympathetic to your cause or not, I certainly am not interested in anything that this group has to say from now on, you know, or at least it's, it, it's a higher barrier for me to give a shit about this particular environmental group just because like, okay, if you guys thought that was smart, then I don't, <laughs> I don't really trust your judgment. Right. You know what it kind of reminds me of is like the, um, the, do you remember when they, they did this sit in at wall street, when they did occupy wall street and they were like, for a while it was really effective in gathering. It felt like they had some momentum. And then a few weeks later I went down there and it just felt like people liked who liked camping. And I think that liberals and liberal agendas sort of run into this a lot when, when we're trying to um, affect change is we, we have a hard time all coming together on something on and making it effective. Like you'll show up for a Black Lives Matter rally and someone will have a sign that's like, stop eating meat. And you're like, well, that's not what we came here for, dude. So that's sort of, this sort of reeks of that liberal, like nobody talked to anybody, um, <laughs> nobody checked, right, right, right. you know. Well, and that I and I have to be more extreme than you. Like I have to show you that it's like you think you care, but I care more. And let me show you that. I will say, just in defense of their tactic, 
what you know there's like that that philosophy in in marketing or like i think they've done studies about this that like you have to see you have to hear or see something nine times in marketing right like marketing for a you know a lingerie or a movie or whatever the fuck uh you have to see you have to have nine points of contact for a thing to penetrate nine points of like you barely noticed it, but somewhere subconsciously you noticed it, or you maybe actually watched a full commercial, or even like nine of those things have to happen to you before there's some sort of awareness that the thing exists. Um, and I wonder if these are all just points of contact that are like yeah. getting into our subconscious. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think it's it's the responsibility of young people to be annoying like they they <laughs> they need to 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 they need to annoy people like yeah. me because yeah, otherwise yeah. i'm just going to be concerned with my own sort of tiny little world and my tiny little universe and i'm certainly not going to be helpful in sort of creating a world that's worth inheriting for them and so i i believe that young people need to be annoying and i think if we went back in history and we looked at the civil rights movement on a more day-to-day micro basis Probably people were doing things that were annoying in in uh, in service of civil rights that would be like, well, that's not helpful, you know. But like you said, just this sort of constant, this sort of churning stew of just reminding people like, this is a thing, this is a thing, this is a thing. Like yeah. I, can, I can see the benefit of that. I feel like that's happening with hurricanes and fires, though. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, let's move on to our second item. This one is um. About a dude, Dr. Howard Tucker in Cleveland. He is now certified as the world's oldest practicing doctor. Um, in February of 2021, when he was 98 years old and 231 days, he was already the oldest practicing. Now at 100, he continues to work full time. Oh, no. His typical day is nine to six. 100 years old, this guy. Um, and I saw a photo of him in the article. I mean, the dude looks pretty good for like 100. I'm like not gonna bang him, but I'm just saying like he looks pretty good. Uh, and maybe, I mean, I might bang him. Like you know what? Like maybe I will. But I mean, I'm just saying like I was like, wow. Where? First of all, I don't know if I want to work. I actually like dream about retiring. Um, but that's guess for everybody. Right. What did you think of the story, Rosebud? I'm just saying if I walk into a doctor's office. And he's a hundred years old. I'm turning around and I'm walking out. I I know that's ageist. I know. I'm, you know, God but what forgive about me. All the wisdom, all the shit he's seen. Yeah, tell me a story, but don't don't check out my lungs. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I I don't want. This is just. This is also, you know, for me, like that's you're counting down. You're counting down the, the minutes. And if some I'm not having a doctor die on me while they're looking down my throat. I don't I don't want somebody dying on me and <laughs> So you're worried about the actual death happening in your presence. Yes. Yeah. I think <laughs> obviously. Very, very specific concern. And like you're saying, it's like you kind of want to have a sort of a long term relationship with your general practitioner. Like you you don't want right. to have to to do the the here's who I am every time you see your doctor. So you want like a you'd like to be seeing the same doctor for years at a time. And so it's like Decades. if I walk in and the dude's a hundred, it's like okay, well I'm not 
going to start a relationship with this yeah, doctor. Yeah, okay, but Christian, right. if you started the relationship with him 15 years ago when he was 85. If you started, if you started seeing this guy 20 years ago, he still would have been 80 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Look, though, I'm not if starting, you looked... I'm not starting a relationship with any doctor over 65. I'm not starting a relationship with a dog over seven. So, you know. Yeah. I'm not, I'm just not that good of a person. I'm like, I, I don't know who is doing this. Who is going, yeah, let's try it. Listen, he's got years of experience. Whether he can remember all of it is another thing. I mean, I'm in my 30s. I can't remember what happened yesterday. No, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm getting to a point now where I'm, like, starting to see the effects of aging. Where, like, it's like I can't remember um, pop stars that I grew up with. I get their names wrong. You know, it's like and your your the power of attention, like the 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 amount of focus and the duration of time for which I can use that focus is definitely diminished for me from where yeah. it was ten years ago. There's no question for sure. So I I just God bless him. Well, I there there but. is a there is a possibility that like you, it diminishes when you start being in your late thirties and forties, and then it like and it goes down and down and down, and then when you hit. 85 it turns right back up <laughs> into, like you know what I mean what if he's just been doing it for so long he actually made it to the point where he's like way better I, I don't know this is so, just someone... a sort of vibes based analysis I'm just saying like what if he's like what if you do something for so long that then by the end you actually that become like have more well focus. it's just like there's medical things just restart they breakthroughs. reboot yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's like there's new things happening in medicine all the time, and I kind of want my doctor to be up on those things. And I don't. For the necessarily... record, I think that like based on what state you you're in, you have to do professional development that's required. So like those new things in medicine end up being a part of your vocabulary, just in defense of old doctors. Are they really going to fail him? Or are they just going to be like, he's fine. He just has the same 15 patients for 30 years. Just let him oh. let him be his Guinness World Wrecking Record doctor. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, what do you think? Are you letting this guy look down your throat? Um, which was oddly the only scenario in which Rosebud <laughs> considers doctorhood is like a specifically throat-based visitation. Yeah, they got they get that flashlight, they look down your throat, and then they croak and fall yeah. in your chest, and then you gotta. And that... <laughs> <laughs> Are you afraid of a doctor dying on you when you're in the in the room? Uh, hit me up. Let me know, folks. That is the end of the show. I mean, I had so much fun talking to both of you. Uh, you're both fantastic. And I would love for the people of Fake the Nation to follow all the things that you do. So Rosebud Baker, where do they do that? You can follow me on TikTok and Instagram at Rosebud Baker. Um, I am putting a tour together that won't be on my website until <laughs> December. But my website is rosebudbaker.com. So you can check me out there or on Bands in Town um, if you want to see when I'm coming to your town. Christian Finnegan, how do they follow you? I am on the Twitter machine at Christ Finnegan. Um, also on Instagram, but I never do it. <laughs> so, I mean, you're welcome to follow me. I, I make no promises whatsoever. Um, and I have a bunch of stuff on like, you know, iTunes and Amazon and all that. 
And uh, yeah, if you're if you're a person who likes music but is stuck listening to the same crap that you have been, I have this. Uh, it's a bi-weekly free newsletter, and then uh, weekly if you're paid. It's uh, called New Music for Olds. It's newmusicforolds.substack.com. And uh, yeah, that's it. And folks, you know where uh, you know where to find all of the ways that I am uh, performing in the world. But just as a reminder, I'm in an, an Ann Arbor and Kalamazoo this weekend on the Wait Wait Don't Tell Me stand up tour. So check that out if you live in either of those two cities. Uh, and if you're in New York, um, the Laughing Liberally show is uh, doing a little run before the midterm. So if you feel like you need a little political laugh, uh, go check out that show. I'm I'm in a few of them. I'm not I'm in not even most of them, but like, you know, it's uh it's uh if you need if you need a little something uh to get you into the voting mood, check out that show. Um oh, and I just also go to QED because uh, yeah. I I, I just was just at QED this weekend. It was so fun. It's such a just fun fun place uh to to work. So Yeah, um, that's my my wife's little business, qedastoria.com. Uh please come out, help us keep the lights on. Oh my god, so fun. Definitely go see them and what I would love to do is thank all the people that make Fake the Nation possible. That's our wonderful producer Andrew McGuire, fantastic audio engineer Stephanie Aguilar. Our theme music was written by Gabby Alter. Special thanks to everyone at Headgum who makes this show a possibility and you can uh, email us at fakethenationahead.com to give us any panelist ideas topic ideas uh, races to watch ideas and don't forget patreon.com slash Farsad to support the show and we will be back in your earballs next week That was a HeadGum Podcast.